0: My name is Manfred Schaffer, and uh, I'm responsible for the mining business uh, within Eiffel Smith. Um, I have the privilege and the pleasure today to talk to you about the mining industry and, of course, our strategy for this segment. I know most of you are quite familiar with the mining industry, and the trends. And so I will not speak too much about the mining industry. I will focus more on our internal initiatives and actions, how we can use the trends and the developments in the mining industry to profitably grow our business. Before I go into the details, uh, just a few key messages that will be the red lines through the presentation of today. Basically, uh, we see a few mega trends that are impacting the mining industry. And uh, we believe it's a positive thing. Decide all the cyclicality and all the challenges, what you have in the mining industry. It is an attractive industry to be in. And I will talk to this uh, a bit more in a minute. There's two themes that Thomas was already alluding to. It's the, the productivity and the sustainability that will drive a lot of these uh, uh, trends that we see in the mining industry. And uh, the way how we are positioned, uh, we can we can take certainly advantage of these trends. Because the answer to a lot of these uh, challenges in productivity and sustainability will be technology, will be new services. And we will be able to write these services based on our historical background and our knowledge. And last but not least, uh, when we will execute the strategy we'll, where I show you selected elements out of this, you will see that this will not only create a profitable growth, but it will also make our business more stable and more predictable. Going to the mining industry and why we believe this is an attractive industry to be in. Of course, there are certain global trends like the population growth, urbanization, and all these kind of things. But overall, of course, the commodity demand has grown roughly in line with the global GDP growth. However, what we see now in mining is a, a few other trends that will increase the demand of mining equipment. And this is, of course, on one hand, it's the dropping ore grades, the depleting deposits that will require that we have more runoff mine ore uh, to generate the same amount of metals. And what you see in the upper chart, you see that the runoff mine production is increasing at a much faster speed as the commodity demand. And of course, there's other of course, uh, trends uh, like the decarbonization and the electrification of our industry. The change to the electric vehicles has been a little bit slow, but it's coming for sure. And all this will uh, drive the demand for certain commodities like copper, lithium, nickel, and so on. And it will drive that in a faster speed than what you see in the GDP growth. And then on top of it, you have the sustainability challenge. When you watch the news, it's very clear that the mining industry has to respond to this. And the answer will be technology. And uh, we can provide this technology. And this is not a question of investments. It will be a question uh, that the mining industry has to invest in this. It's not an option. If you want to Maintain your license to operate. If you want to obtain a license or permit to operate, you will have to comply with increasing uh, regulations for the uh, environmental footprint. So overall, this is an attractive industry. And on top of this, despite all the uh, pressure on the commodity prices and the increasing production cost. Generally, the mining companies have uh, quite a good cash flow. You have seen all the extra dividends they've paid over the last few quarters. So this is an industry that has enough liquidity to make the investments. They're at the moment reluctant to make the investments because of all the uncertainties in the industry, but they will come. And of course, um, if you have an industry that has the cash flow, that has the liquidity, and that has the need to make the investment, that's a good industry to be in as a supplier. Oops. Um, I've used um, copper here as an example to sh- demonstrate a little bit the complexity and the different influencing factor. Why copper? First of all, it's an important uh, commodity for F.L. Smith, but it's also internationally seen as a good indicator of what is going on in the mining industry. Uh, what you see on the upper uh, chart is the commodity or the, the copper price. And yes, it is below $6,000 per ton, which is not great. You have seen the price has dropped in the middle of the last year, basically because of the uncertainties in the global economy and the industrial growth, especially also driven by China. China is approximately consuming 50% of the global copper demand. So a lot of people saying with the drop of the production and industry production in China, the copper demand will drop. But what we are seeing is actually the opposite. Um, the upper uh, right-hand chart is showing you a constant increase of import of uh, copper concentrate into China. Compared to this year, year-to-date, compared to last year, the copper concentrate import to China has increased by 10%. How is it? That? that is basically because the copper recycling in China has some challenges. It is not so easy to find clean copper and recycle this. And the emission regulations in China are putting some pressure on the recycling of copper. So there's more demand for clean concentrate to be imported. If there is more demand for clean concentrate, where does it come from? You see on the lower left-hand chart, is there has not been a lot of new discoveries of good, great copper deposits. And in addition, what you see, the existing mines, of course, are going deeper and have more production costs, but also have dropping ore grades. So if you put all this together, of course there's a demand to increase your productivity, but also there is a demand to sooner or later invest into copper. Without doing that, the forecast is between 2022 and 2024, there would be a supply-demand deficit. So there is a reason why we have this reluctance at the moment, but we see still there are strong underlying trends. And you could do this for iron ore for alumina, for nickel, and so on. The picture is actually quite similar. And this is why we believe this is a good industry to be in. Talking about our position in this industry, roughly we have estimated the total available market to us is roughly 120 billion DK, where we are currently uh, accessing a little bit less than half, 55 to 60 million uh, billion DKs. And we have, a, compared to our main peers, a relatively good market share. Um, but at the same time, when you look at the capital and aftermarket market share in our existing accessible market, we still have room to grow. In addition to that, you will see there is a consolidation in the industry, which provide which will provide uh, additional opportunities for us to grow. But it is uh, different initiatives to grow the total available market uh, or the the accessible market by working with white spots, new technologies and so on. And then, of course, it's also an internal driven initiatives, how we will change our product mix to grow more in the stable part of the business and to be less dependent on the volatile capital business. A short word about the underlying trends, Uh, I have talked about this already, but um I just want to highlight again why this is important. The dropping org rates and the increase in productivity, at the same time the lack of investment, of course, means that the customers are driving aging equipment harder. They need to produce more, which is providing great opportunities because they need more parts, they need more service. At the same time, of course, we can use uh, digital to be better connected and provide better services and have uh, a closer connection to the installed equipment, but also to our customers. And then, of course, uh, as I have mentioned, the maintaining and obtaining the social license to operate will create a lot of opportunities, because this will require new technologies. And I will touch on the CO2 emission and water consumption just as two examples, because they are most uh, dominant in the mining industry. With our knowledge in the process, in the projects, in the products, and in the service, we're ideally uh, positioned to take advantage of this. And only through the merger of our uh, Finnish peers, we will have a, a competitor that has a similar wide offering as we have. So we are very bullish about the opportunities we will see from the trends in the mining industry. I have selected a few. Uh, actions and, and sort of parts of our strategy just to demonstrate what does it all mean, what I'm talking about. And I will talk about, of course, the challenges uh, that we have in the capital industry and uh, in the capital business, the project business, and what we are doing about it. But I will also talk about the service business. I said there is an aging population of equipment out there, what we can do there. And then I will talk how digital will help us to, to grow the aftermarket and to grow our customer intimacy. And last but not least, we'll talk about a few technology developments that will address the sustainability challenge. First, about uh, the disappointing announcement we had to do in quarter three, and you're probably asking, what is going on? What we had uh, was an execution model for our project business, which was based on our philosophy to be very close to the customer. That, of course, has meant that we had execution of projects through many different locations and a very fragmented organization, which was difficult to manage and to control. But primarily, we had the challenge that to have the right people, the right competence on the right project at the right time. In addition to that, we have a tendency in the industry where the customers are more careful about their investments. And we see this stop-and-go approach. What I mean is, before you would get an order to deliver a, a plant, now more and more customers say, well, I'll give you an order to start with the basic engineering. Then you stop, then we make an update. i give you another uh, release for your detail engineering. Then you stop, and uh, you give me an update. Then I release the long lead time items, and then you stop. So all this disrupts, of course, the the flow of the project execution and makes it even more difficult for us to absorb uh, our resources and have the right resources at the right time. So all this has uh, led to certain uh, delays and cost overruns in our projects. And what we had to do is go back, look into our backlog, reassess if our assumptions for the future profitability of our backlog are still correct And that has led to the uh, adjustments in the quarter three. More important, of course, is also what we're doing about it. And we are implementing what we call the so-called hub concept. That means we are concentrating and focusing our resources for project execution in three hubs, a Western, Central, and Eastern hub. And there we will have all the resources what we need in terms of project execution, commercial contract management, engineering, procurement, and they will have a critical mass. They will not depend so much on one or two projects. And then, of course, we can better manage the absorption. That doesn't mean that we are completely abandoning our concept of being close to the customer. They will still work with satellite offices, where we have people that will interface with the customers and also with the local suppliers. But they will report back to the to the hub and therefore create an organization that is flexible, Agile, but also the clear front-to-end responsibility is clearly defined. With this, uh, we can also make sure that we have the right people, the right competences in front of the customer whenever needed. And um, this will, of course, help us to better execute the projects and better adjust to the fluctuating capital business. Now, going from the capital into the service business, um, and... um, here we have announced uh, some time back that we want to grow our wear part business. And now I'm talking about the metallic wear lining for mills and crusher application. What we are doing now in order to grow this business is we are creating a competence center in North America where we are already designing and supplying um, high performance parts. This competence center will also connect it to a foundry where they can generate new alloys, develop better materials so that we can differentiate our offering from what is available in the market. At the same time, of course, we will also increase our in-house production with foundries in uh, North America and in India and also combine this with a more agile supply chain with uh, third-party suppliers. At the same time, we are also expanding our offering for mill liners. We will go more into composite liners, which has certain advantages and certain applications. And by combining of course our Miller liner and crusher liner offering with our global service footprint, we cannot only provide the parts we will also provide the service the exchange service, and we will provide complete wear solutions. We have over five hundred mills installed, and when you estimate that roughly uh, each uh, wear liner uh, business from each mill is roughly ten million. Uh, DK per year. You can already imagine the magnitude of the business we are trying to uh, attack here but this is of course only our own installed base. If you look at the total installed base it's, it's much much bigger and of course we will do that because our competency designing mills, mill liners and wear solutions is not only limited to our equipment. Now I was saying how can digital help us to generate more aftermarket business. And as you will hear later also from Michael, there's many ways how digital technology is helping us to run the business today. It's in the customer intimacy with the e-commerce solutions and all these kind of things. But what I want to focus here is the so-called asset health monitoring. What this really does is it connects our equipment through sensors, through the cloud, with our service centers. And by this, we can clearly have a good overview of what is happening with our equipment and can better plan our service. How this works in reality, we have tried to show on this chart. Our installed base has more and more sensors and they're collecting data, and this data are then transmitted to the cloud. From there, uh, and there's some analysis done when certain data is exceeding predefined boundaries, it will trigger an alarm. And This tric- uh, alarm will then be transferred to our 24-7 service center. The people will immediately know, okay, we have a problem. Um, and they, depending if they cannot solve it immediately, they can then trigger that service people will be dispatched and they can go to site. They can check if we have the required spare parts immediately. They can ship them to site And they can do this in a very, very quick response time. And the quick response time means that, of course, it's better for the customer, the downtime is reduced, and, of course, the uptime and availability is increased. Now you say, okay, but uh, you're globally active. How can you make sure that you have all the time the right people, the right service technician with the right knowledge available? We are doing this uh, with uh, new technology, and this is why I have this helmet here. All of our service centers have now this type of technology where the service technicians have this type of uh, connect- connectability with our serv- with our excellent centers it 's video audio data collection and in r- they' real time connected with our service centers so the service technician can go out he can connect to the best knowledgeable people that we have in the company and they can help them. It's a real inter- interaction and this will really help us to make sure that the customer really sees benefit in being connected to us. It also of course gives us the benefit that we know exactly in what condition the equipment is in and of course we all know that collecting data, coll- data is the new wealth and if we manage the data well we can generate a lot of business out of this. Now coming to the technology part, and I was saying I will use a few examples to show how technology can help us to, to uh, work with some of the sustainability challenges. What I have here is a simplified mining value chain of a flow sheet where you see that we have for each step in the flow sheet already technologies, but we have identified what new technologies we will use in order to help the miners to be more productive and more sustainable. I've talked already about the wear part, but I will talk also about the IPCC, the input crushing and conveying. I will talk about the water, the tailings, and I will also talk about ROL, the rapid oxidative leaching. We're working on a lot of these things. Some of these uh, technologies have already been launched in the market. Some of them are still at the very early stage of the development. But the pipeline of developments will make sure that Over time, we can introduce them to the industry depending on the demand and the hunger what we see from our customers. Talking about water, and as you know, this is becoming an increasing challenge to the mining industry. We have uh, talked about this already uh, at the last Capital Market Day in 2017 that we see opportunities in water. Of course, the unfortunate event, like for example, the Dam failure in uh, Brumadinho in Brazil has now really put the focus on this and say, look, the mining companies really have to do something about this. And we have been one of the four front runners on this, and, and uh, we are certainly in touch with all the big mining companies, and there's a lot of discussion now how they can address this issue. The current technology allows the recycling of roughly 70% of the water through. Base sickness and, and uh, all these kind of things, but still thirty percent sorry thirty percent of the of the water will be uh, in the material. The next big step what the industry is looking for is uh, a dewatering technology that will help to reduce the retaining water to fifteen percent with fifteen percent the material is strong enough that you can handle it, that you can stack it, and you, you don 't need a tailings. A wet tailings facility and a wet tailings dam uh, at all. So, this is the big breakthrough. It is available for smaller capacities. What we are working on is really to make this technology available for large scale capacities. I'm talking around 200,000 tons per day. And we need to do this in a, of course, economical, feasible way. The uh, International Council for Mining and Metals, led by some of the biggest. Investors like the pension fund of the Church of England and so on, they're all now working on this. They have invited suppliers like us to work with the industry to find a solution. So there's probably a lot of potential here. Of course, this is the short-term solution. Uh, The long-term solution would be, okay, how can we eliminate water in the mining uh, completely? And we believe also here, because of our knowledge from the cement industry, we have a good decision because cement is a dry process. All the grinding and so on is already dry and we have certainly knowledge how we can introduce this into the mining industry and we have already interesting discussions around this with some of the major mining companies. We talked a lot about the echo tails and I still get questions. Where are you with this development? We've made big steps. As you remember, we have together with Gold Corp. Now Newmont started this roughly three years ago but they exactly said look we need a solution a large scale solution for dewatering and we have developed this filtration technology and um, what you see in the uh, picture here is one of these 5 by 3 filter plates you need about 70 to 100 of these plates in a filter and just to give you an idea of the dimension, what we are talking here. So it's huge investments, but these investments will be necessary to collect and dewater and avoid wet tailing stamps completely. So we have uh, developed this, and we are, the first article test has been all very, very successful. We have also increased the filter media wear life to more than six months and so on. So good progress has been done there. At the same time, of course, we are working with a lot of the suppliers do with other solutions. And of course, we have also with the big mining company in Brazil entered into an agreement how we can work with them. And they've uh, just released the first order for 30 filter units that they will apply together with us uh, in the tailings management in their operations in Brazil. So a lot of good things happened. And unfortunately, these events will, like Brumadinho, will develop and will accelerate the, implica- uh, the application of this technology. The ROL, the rapid oxidative leaching, is also something I talked uh, about two years ago, and you probably wonder where you are with this. We have tested the process in our in a demo plant in our lab in uh, Salt Lake City with very good results. Based on that, we have made an agreement with a Peruvian miner, copper miner. And we've built a demo plant, and we're running the demo plant at the moment, also with very good results. So the next step will be, after the completion of this demo plant, that we build a full-size plant. What we have also shown is that, of course, um, this process is very uh, good for handling of uh, what we call dirty ores, uh, sulfides, or ores that have a high arsenic content. The arsenic content is a problem because, uh, as I said, there's also a lot of the copper concentrates goes into the smelting. And if you have to get the arsenic in, in your copper concentrate, of course, there's a, the risk of uh, polluting the atmosphere so through this. So it's not only handling of difficult ores, it will also help to address the, the question around arsenic and pollution and so on. In addition to this, we have uh, started, of course, tests in other minerals. And we see very good results in uh, refractory gold. It's about 50% of the world known gold deposits are refractory gold. If we can apply this, of course, that will also be a big breakthrough. The idea is, of course, that uh, this process compared to other known processes like autoclaves and things like that, that this works with atmospheric pressure, with relatively low temperature and with a very low uh, reaction time. So it's very economical compared to existing technologies like autoclaves. And then uh something about CO2 and dust emission. What I show here is a picture about uh, a unit uh, that is uh, operating in a big iron ore mine in Brazil. They have uh, four of these units. Each of these units is producing more than 10,000 tons per hour. So this is the biggest iron ore mine and it's completely truckless. The normal uh, operation as you know in surface mines is trucks and shovels and it's not unusual that big trucks did uh, big mines use Three to 400 trucks. This is eliminating the trucks completely. And the beauty is, it's driven with renewable energy. There is no diesel. It requires uh, only a few uh, operators, because it's all remote-controlled and automated. And, of course, it does not generate a lot of uh, dust and so on. This is not completely new technology, uh, and it's not applicable to all applications. If you have a very complicated ore deposit, it's very difficult to to operate. But if we are just, uh, let's say, addressing 10 to 20% of the existing surface mines, which could use this technology, this would be, a, of course, a, a big breakthrough and uh, create a lot of opportunities because you could replace uh, hundreds and thousands of diesel-driven trucks every year. And there's a lot of interest. I'm just coming from a meeting with a Peruvian miner that runs at the moment a, a big mine at a high elevation with 400 trucks. They will go to three of these systems and they will eliminate the trucks to a large extent. Now I've, used, uh, I've shown you how we will fix the, uh, the challenges, what we have, but also what new opportunities uh, we see in the market. What is the market growth in mining? We estimated three to four percent, conservatively, over the average over the cycle per year. And our ambition is certainly to go at least at the same speed with our internal initiatives on top of this growth. So this should be, over the cycle, you should see a minimum of 6 to 8%. And the introduction of the new technologies, the new services, and, of course, the growth of the market will certainly give us the opportunity to achieve this growth rate. At the same time, we, have, uh, we are also working on Improving our mix, as I said, with more stable aftermarket business, with improving our margin, especially in the capital business, and, of course, with the rapid growth, at the same time keeping our costs relatively stable, we will also get the operating leverage. So by implementing the strategy, where I've shown you certain parts of it, there's, of course, only one part, there's other initiatives. I mentioned before, like standardization, modularization, all kind of initiatives are ongoing, I've just shown you a few selected parts of the strategy. But when we implement the strategy, we will not only create a more profitable, sustainable and stable business, we will also generate a lot of additional shareholder value. Thank you very much. Questions? Yes.
1: Yeah, L- last chap from, yeah. from Carnegie. So, so Manfred, copper is made either from oxide or or sulfide, or can you comment on how you see the output mix change between the two types and maybe elaborate a bit on on how that affects your business? Thanks.
0: Yes, thank you very much, Lars, for the question. A very good question. As you know, most uh, copper deposits, you have the easy handling or easier processing oxide ore at the top, and when you go deeper, you go more and more into sulfides. About 50% of the world-known copper resources are sulfides, uh, but they are very difficult to handle. If we are able to, with the ROL, create a, a process that it makes it economically feasible to manage these ores, there's huge opportunities. We believe that the certain we will have an entrance where. Mines, we certain mines already transferring from oxide to sulfide. They will test it first. And, of course, when, once this is tested and accepted in the industry, then there is a lot more opportunities. So we believe that uh, this can certainly generate a few billion uh, decays of business opportunities for us uh, because the opportunities are great. And as I said, it's not only copper. It's, of course, gold and others. But, but I'm also thinking a, a flotation plant, does that
1: represent better business for you than leaching?
0: Um, depends. Of course, uh, I mean, it's not the same ore that you use for a flotation or for a leaching process. But what I also see is a lot of people that have high pollution and high arsenic, they will add this to their flotation plant. They say, okay, you we, we generate the, the concentrate with, like, let's say, 30% of copper, and then we go through the ROL process to take... Uh, um, the pollution and everything out. And then we have a very clean uh, copper, uh, and uh, they will avoid all the penalties. If you now sell copper concentrate with high arsenic, you pay a very high penalty and you get a very low price. So there's a lot of different dynamics that are driving this. And this is particular of interest for this Peruvian mine where we are currently working. They say, look, just with the penalties that we avoid uh, by not having this arsenic in the copper, we are already paying for the plant. Yes, please. Uh,
1: that's Arsene from Credit Swiss. Um, uh, just on the uh, project pipeline in COPPA, looking at slide 4 at your chart, it seems like in the next five to seven years, the size of possible and uh, pro- probable pipeline it looks smaller than the projects committed in the next two, 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 two or three years. Maybe you can give us a quick comment on how you see the project pipeline in the next couple of years.
0: Um, these charts are illustrative only, and don't please don't scale the parts what you see there. I mean, uh, the project pipeline, we have quite a strong pipeline. The only risk what we have here is the timing on this. We have a few very large projects where we don't, are not quite sure when they will be triggered. And so it's very difficult to give you exactly which quarter it is. But we are seeing a, a good pipeline of projects. Some of them are larger brownfields, some of them are... Uh, Greenfield projects, uh, and uh, so we are quite confident with our order backlog because, uh, uh, or with our pipeline, and we, with the information what we see through our CRM systems, actually the pipeline is growing. It is really the lack of decision that is currently holding back our order intake a bit. Uh,
1: I guess rephrasing a bit, after two years of very strong um, of very strong project approvals, do you think the pipeline is now bigger? of similar size than in the last two years, or actually is a bit smaller?
0: We have a few opportunities which are in excess of a billion in order intake. I cannot tell you exactly when they will happen, but we've worked on these opportunities since two or three years. So I'm saying it's still a very strong pipeline. I'm just not sure when they will happen, but it has piled up. This lack of decision by our customers saying, well, it's uncertain... I give you an engineering order, but I don't release the equipment and so on. That is holding back a little bit the order intake, what you see. But it's not does not mean that our salespeople, our engineers are not busy. They're very busy, but it's not showing yet in the order intake. Thank you very much.
1: <clears throat> Hi, Sandy Wilson from J.P. Morgan. Um, I just wanted to ask, and it's probably a question for, for both mining and cement, but when we kind of think about these areas that you're targeting to kind of grow outside of, of the market, so Waysports New Technology Service, how should I think about the need for investment in order to drive those areas? Because obviously we've seen previously you've kind of you've flagged additional spending and digitalization. You know, I wonder about how much R&D we might need um, or whether it's going to be sort of largely organic or through M&A. Just trying to think about, if you're going to grow ahead of the market, how much of the capability is already in the group, and how much of it is, you know, effectively is going to be incremental spend one way or another over the next uh, two to three years?
0: This is primarily what I show here as organic growth. This is not including any bigger, of course, uh, M and and so on. We have the technology in house. Do I want to spend more money on r and I certainly want we, as soon as we see the opportunities. But what also the concept would we have is that most of the new developments are done together with major mining companies, and they participate in this. This is the advantage not only that we save money, but also their input is very valuable, and this will help us to speed up the acceptance of the technology in the industry. So a lot of what you see on the dewatering and, and on the ROL and so on. Of course, there's commercial contracts behind it, and we are not carrying all the, the development money. So this is not driven by any big, extraordinary investments. Of course, uh, our R&D has been stable, and we are targeting a certain percentage of revenue, but this is not driven by any extraordinary investment.
1: So when we think about the, the kind of associated margin development, we should be thinking about that effectively incorporating the necessary cost. It's not going to be down the road we we kind of get a nasty shock as additional cost it's like that's in that thinking
0: that's in there of course all the development what we do here the costs are in there there's not a an extra cost
1: perfect thank you